You're listening to the Jazz Violin Podcast, episode 42, and today I'm chatting with Nora Germain. start off by chatting about Patreon and I know that you've probably heard this before if you've listened to my podcast in the past but this might be the first time you've ever listened to it so I'm just going to go at it anyway. If you would like to support the podcast you can do so via Patreon. It's Patreon is a way that you, the listener, can support me, the content creator. It's also a place that you can get involved in my Jazz Violin Practice Club. The Jazz Violin Practice Club is a place that we meet up every week to practice jazz violin together on Zoom. Anyway, enough of the hard sell. Going to go on to chatting about my guest, Nora Germain. I met Nora a couple of times in London when she's been here to visit to play. She's an excellent violinist living in LA, um, really interesting musician, a prolific recording artist. She has recorded countless albums and has played with some of the best musicians in the business. Please give it up for Nora Germain. Hi, hopefully you can see and hear me. I can see and hear you real good. Okay, fantastic. How's it going? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Are you in London right now? I am. I am. Oh, I miss I miss London. Yeah. When was the last time you were in London? Twenty eighteen or nineteen. But I went in twenty fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, and then either eighteen or nineteen. So I went quite a few times. Hmm. How come? How come? We're straight in. But what, what were you doing to, in? Oh, are we? Are we recording? Yeah. I came to to play shows. Um, well, the, one of the first times I came, I was invited by John Altman. Do oh, you know yeah. Him? Yeah. John and I met in Los Angeles here where I live at a, at a, a music party. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of um, got along right away. And he was doing a show with Jacob Collier at Pizza Express. He's like, I really want you to come. I want you to play on this show. And I was like, okay, great. So I played with him. And then there was some other stuff going on with Martin Taylor, I guess, around yeah. that time. He had a some a retreat in London or or we played a festival together. And anyway, I had just situated myself to come and just be part of a bunch of different stuff. Yes. <laughs> so I did that several times and I really love London. So, yeah. I love London too. I think it's a great city. Yes. Absolutely. Hey, so um, you're in you're in Los Angeles, is that right? Yep, I live in West Hollywood. How are things going at the moment? Things are pretty good. Um, I feel very grateful to, you know, um, be in the position I'm in. I'm a good place to live. Got good friends, good music. I'm healthy. So compared to a lot of other people, I feel extremely lucky. 
And uh, the music scene is sort of starting to come back here, but every venue is sort of different. So, you know, patience is key. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you're yeah. not, but you're not from LA, is that right? Uh, no, I grew up in um, near Chicago in the Midwest. And I also lived in New York for a couple of years before this, mm-hmm. but I've been here for like 10 years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so how did you start playing the violin? Um, well, my parents both played, they were violinists in the Madison Symphony, which is a symphony in Wisconsin, which is, you know, near Chicago. Yeah. And, um, I, it was just sort of passed down to me. I don't really remember how I started, but, um, well, my mom, well, this was part of it, actually. My mom had started this Suzuki violin school um which became quite big actually um it's still running now and so me and my mom's friends and their kids and all of us kind of grew up in this sort of suzuki environment together and we performed a lot it was very (laughs) very funny but i actually have a lot of early memories performing when i was you know six seven eight nine ten years old and uh so that's kind of how it started Okay. And so did were you taught by your your family? Uh no. Um <clears throat> most people <laughs> don't have a very good experience when their parents try to teach them anything. So <laughs> so my mom and her friends who had kids like we would all like swap, you know, parents. And so um I got taught by, you know, a bunch of different uh, you know, classical violinist people yeah yeah and that's using the suzuki method is that right yeah for the first like you know 10 years of my life or more that was kind of you know what i did like every day yeah you share that you know there's a lot of uh, a lot of jazz players violinists who play jazz or jazz violinists uh, who have started uh-huh. who started with suzuki maybe it could be an american thing that maybe that huh. but uh from what i i find it quite interesting that like, because you know, I've interviewed loads of people on here, and most mostly okay. is mostly is did the Suzuki method. Um, I think either it could have been that it was such a draconian experience that people were just like absolutely needed to break out of it, or my second guess would be that um, the ear training is pretty strong in Suzuki, so people maybe feel like their sight reading isn't as good. Their ear is sort of leading them to new places. That's what happened with me. I was like, I could hear all sorts of stuff and I could already, I mean, like before I even knew anything about jazz, I was already improvising mostly like fiddle music, Celtic music and stuff, but I was already improvising in that. And so it kind of, I got taken off the path. Yes. So you'd you'd say it was quite, it's quite draconian as in did, did you uh, did you did you enjoyed it or uh, is, did you find it you know did you find it a drag? Because I have a different have again you know I speak to a lot of people and a lot of people say there's a mix you know people say they really enjoy it and then some people say that they found it very very you know difficult and like you said actually that you're the first to say draconian use that word but I mean it's not draconian like you know a prisoner of war camp is draconian yeah. but I do feel that. It's a little bit, 
if you're like a naturally creative person, you're kind of naturally a performer. I feel that certain methods of learning can kind of stifle you. And even if you're a kid, you might already have some like innate sense of that, even if you can't necessarily put it into words and you don't have a whole lot of life experience or things to compare it to. Yeah. So I certainly felt to a certain extent that I was being stifled, like, you know, what they want you to wear, they want you to, you know, look very classical and, um, and here I come with a white shirt. (laughs) No, but anyway, um, you know, it's fine to look dressed up when you want to, you know, but yeah, I always, I was always very exuberant. I got in trouble in group classes for, you know, being too energetic or for attracting too much attention to myself. And I think I've always just kind of been a natural performer. Mm. So I think for someone who wants to have a life that's like in a symphony or something, maybe it's really helpful, but I've always had like a little bit of conflict, maybe not conflict, but just I've always been the person in the class that says what everybody else is thinking, but everybody is afraid to say it. And mm. then I get in trouble. I like that's happened to me like many times throughout my life. So I wouldn't say that it stifled me, but definitely it could only serve me to, you know, a certain point. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess, so it's quite rigid. Is, is that, is that, a, would be, that be a key word? Um, well, my school wasn't super rigid. I mean, like, I think they really had an, like an encouraging environment, you know, and there were like chances for people to do things that were a little more fun, like my mom and other teachers would, you know, arrange for us to have master classes and we would go, you know, watch people like Mark O'Connor and like, we would do fun stuff, but, but, um, I wouldn't say it was rigid. It was just not, it wasn't a really necessarily a place to become an individual, I would say. Yeah. Talking yeah. of Mark O'Connor and Suzuki in the same uh, sentence is an interesting one because I don't think he likes them. Well, yeah, he doesn't like Suzuki at all, right? Yeah, yeah, he definitely doesn't. <laughs> From what I've read, he definitely doesn't. He's not into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there you go. Um, well, so then how did you get from there to playing jazz? You know, I actually sort of already know this a little bit because I've checked you out, but I'd oh. like you to... Uh, I would, I'd like you to elaborate on that. How did you, how did you find jazz? So the big thing was that like, basically I went to this school called Idlewild Arts Academy and there's a bunch of great jazz musicians that have been there. Actually, Jacob did a master class there a couple of years ago, but Casey Abrams, who was on American Idol playing bass, um, uh, Evan Christopher, who's a very yeah. known clarinet player in New Orleans, me, um, Jason Jackson, lots of other people went there. Uh, Jacob uh, Sesney, he's a great saxophonist. Anyway, lots of people went there. And basically, I had gone there as a school in California, and I basically left home uh, for various personal (laughs) reasons. But I just left. And then I got to this school, and there was a jazz school there. And And so there's this teacher there called Marshall Hawkins. And I didn't know really much about jazz at all. I mean, like, I didn't know anything about chords. I didn't know any standards besides, you know, summertime or whatever, which everybody knows. And this teacher, Marshall Hawkins, he was bass player for, you know, Donny Hathaway, Miles Davis, Shirley Horn, all these amazing people. And he was quite, you know, I guess you could say elderly. He was sort of like a Yoda figure to all of us. He was incredibly patient and warm, but also inspiring and genius and badass and 
just really the greatest teacher I ever had. And, and he actually is sort of a father figure to me and I'm sure to many other people, but basically I got to this school. I didn't really know what I was going to do creatively. You know, I'd been interested in singing and dancing, playing violin. And I found this jazz program and basically I played, I made an appointment with Marshall and I played a little bit for him. I think we were just sight reading ballads you know he was playing piano and I was just sight reading and I think he noticed that I sort of more than most violinists kind of had a natural sort of confidence to just try things to not shut yourself down before you try so then I studied jazz and that was really it yeah so it was through school rather than um yeah it was you, you found it through school it was like a pathway like an educational pathway to start with you know it's so weird because actually i've never thought about it that way but yeah it's i mean nice. Wild is sort of a hogwarts site type situation yeah um it's really a home away from home where you make you know lifelong friends and that kind of thing it's even in the woods same thing but yeah so yeah it i i kind of stumbled into it i think and it was very strange but i'm very grateful well yeah there's you know there's so many different ways ways for us to fall into it isn't there and i think that yeah yeah i think that um i don't know i always try to make parallels between the uk and and america i don't know why mm-hmm. but uh not parallels but actually what I, what i'm trying to say is that we don't often stumble into it it's very hard for a violinist to stumble into jazz Edu- in an educational yeah as an educational pathway oh yeah um, i mean um, like <laughs> There are only a handful of places where that could have even happened to right. me. And I think it was almost meant to be that I wanted to go there. Like I felt an urge to go to this specific place. And so, yeah, I think it almost had to be, you know, a destiny kind of thing, which is funny. But yeah, a violinist would basically never even be exposed to that otherwise. And actually, I ended up going to the new school after that in New York City, which is yeah. a jazz school yeah. that lots of people have gone to. And um, they have a classical conservatory called Manus Conservatory, which is also very well known. And they're like neighborhoods apart. I mean, like they're like, I don't know, it's like 40 blocks apart or something like that. And it's like, so if you go to the jazz school and you play cello or something or clarinet, you would never, ever meet someone from the classical school. And that to me made me very upset at the yeah. time. I just thought, what a terrible design. Like these people should get to know each other. You know what I mean? Yes. You know what I've always found interesting as well is well, maybe just for myself, but when I, I studied on a jazz a jazz course, probably similar to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and uh you basically don't you don't you don't make any violin friends when you study study on a jazz course. Like that's what's really interesting. I found like I just didn't have any violin friends. I think that like cla- obviously if you study classically, you have loads of violin friends. That's like all your mm-hmm. friends are probably violin friends. But yeah, yeah, we don't end up making violin friends. I find is that right? yeah. Well, I think I made a lot more violin friends once I became professional and started doing gigs. I had lots of friends all over the world. I wouldn't say lots, but there's probably like you know ten or fifteen violinists that I know either in LA or you know London and yeah. people or New York just people all over that I'd stay in touch with and you know but yeah I didn't make those friends till I was professional really yeah um so what what who have been your uh you know when you were first starting out 
who are your violin um violin go to violin influences the people who you listen to well, Stefan Grappelli was like the first one. I remember I was at my family's house and they had put on the um, Improvisations record, which is one of my favorite records he ever did. Uh, and like that first, like, boom, you're in and it's like this piano solo. And then like 10 seconds later, Stefan comes in like shining, like a, I don't even know, like a, I don't even, just shining. And yeah. I remember like within... The first like minute of that, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I also felt a sense of like maybe, you know, I have the ability to do that because I felt that I could kind of understand it, even if I didn't have the way of explaining it at that point. I didn't know what a G7 chord was. I was like, OK, does that have seven notes? What does it mean? <laughs> so early on, I didn't know anything. But um, something about him really struck me. And, I, you know, I grew up listening to Mark O'Connor I grew up listening to Itzhak Perlman um, and uh, who else did I listen to? I mean, later on when I really got more into it, I listened to Ray Nance and Stuff Smith. And I really admired Stuff Smith because he's really credited with inventing electric violin. And I think it's really sad that a lot of electric violinists who don't know anything about jazz, they have no clue that electric violin was a jazz invention. Yeah, it's true. Um, so that's something I think that a lot of violinists could maybe learn. Um, but yeah, people like that, you know, and um, I didn't really have a lot of jazz, like, you know, teachers on violin. I mean, you know, I was kind of listening to a lot of stuff on YouTube. Okay. So yeah, you didn't have any, um, didn't have any jazz violinists in your life when you were first, when you were first playing, when you first learning. Not really. I mean, like both of my parents played classical and my dad, kind of had a rock thing going on when he was younger, but I wasn't even born at that time. And so I think it was maybe kind of, maybe my blood somehow. But when I got to New York, I was mentored for a little while by John Blake, but he didn't, I mean, we did have, you know, private sessions, but I didn't really like, I hope it doesn't offend anybody. I didn't really look up to him for, you know, technique or anything. Like I had better technique than him, but he was really like a mentor to my musical spirit. Mm. <laughs> he was like a life mentor to me. He would play, you know, amazing piano and he would tell me about life. And at one time in a lesson, he even cried and we cried together. And um, John was obviously an amazing violinist, but I have to say, I don't know if he really changed really influenced me as a violinist he really influenced me like as a person if that makes any sense yeah it's like deep deeper level deeper way deeper level even though i did love his playing so but yeah he was really the only jazz violinist i ever knew when i was learning and i didn't know him for you know very long how did you learn what was it that you did to to learn to improvise <laughs> i know that that's a very that's a that's quite an open question but you know um, I think there's a few things. The first thing was that my first teacher, Marshall, the bass player, he really taught me the like importance of using the melody, you know, embellishing the melody, which is like my whole thing. I know a lot of people are like shapes, people, licks, people transcribing, like everybody's different. I'm really melody based person. I really think like the key to everything is through the melody, because when you are using a melody in a solo, like you'll never get lost and you'll take the audience with you. And 
you know, all the best ideas I've ever had have come from embellishing the melody. I mean, sometimes I leave the melody quite far in the background, but I find when I'm not aware of the melody, the whole song basically like loses its feeling and I'm just playing on a bunch of changes and it starts to really sound bad. So when I keep the melody in mind, I think that's really like a strong way to start. And I, I think that was like really the key for me is just take the melody further and further away and to really focus on ballads and understanding the changes and ballads, especially because they're so slow. So you have time to really hear the chords as they go by and you have time to think of a way to connect them rather than if you just start with swing 42 or if you start with, you know, um all the things you are or something like you can't really hear what's going on it's going by too fast so i think the ballads was really a big help for me that's interesting yeah that's great like so when you say yeah when you say keep the melody in mind uh-huh. and and you say that that's that's something that you would that, that you stick to as well nowadays that's like you yeah. keep you might sometimes keep it in the back of your mind and hear it but not play it is that is that right? Yeah. So basically, like as the solo section is going on, you just want to be aware. Like, for example, if at any moment somebody pointed to you and said, play the melody in this bar, you would know yeah. the melody is in that bar. And that helps me a lot to like not get lost. And um, especially if somebody else is playing a solo and I have to come in after them and their solo is out on a different planet. If I have like just a semblance of what the melody is, then I'll like totally not get lost. And also... I just find it um, that my ideas are like much better because they're sticking to an actual theme. And that could be the lyrics, that could be, you know, the phrasing in the song. Um, And also another thing is that the chords are really inextricably linked to the melody. So if you're having trouble with knowing what the chords are or hearing the chords, that's because you have trouble hearing the melody because the melody is all, well, there are a couple exceptions, I'm sure, in some modern stuff, which I don't really play. But basically in all music, whether you're talking about country, it's rock, pop, it could be anything, the chords and the melody are like linked there. So if you are embellishing the melody with any sophistication at all, you're going to be, you know, going through the chords. And I find that happens with every genre. So it's not just like a jazz thing it's that you know if you play in a country band and they want you to take a solo and you embellish the melody people will love it every time yeah and i guess it's something that people don't say that often and maybe like it's something that when i think about it now it's not something that i consciously think of but i definitely Mm -hmm. definitely must happen and that it does happen i'm definitely Mm. hearing the melody especially if i'm playing like a standard like a you know like an, an american songbook tune or whatever well sure i mean obviously if you're doing some kind of free improvisation and there was no melody well, then yeah, that's yeah. Not gonna work <laughs> at that point but yeah in any kind of situation where you have a solo that's a certain length i think and there's a certain form yeah and that's when it will really help help you and i i tend to play mostly that kind of stuff even if i write it myself it's still the same kind of thing so yeah, that's why I think I stick to that. Yeah, no, it makes it makes loads of sense. It's a, it's a great. It is just a great musical way of 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 also of just getting people into playing. I imagine as well. Well, and it's so simple. That's why I think people overlook it. Like I did a bunch of Zoom sort of teaching stuff and some master classes over the pandemic. I don't really do a lot of teaching these days, but sometimes. And like people who are like you know fresh out of classical you know background will be like 
what is the lick that I play in this? And I'm like, okay, well, sure. Let's talk about licks. But the thing is like, okay, so say you're playing, which happens to me all the time. Say you're playing in a recording or on stage and it's with people you don't know, or it's a song you don't know, or guess what? The singer wants to take it down a third. Now your one lick is completely root, like pointless, unless you could transpose like these licks like instantly, in which case I don't even know why you'd be focused on licks if you're that good. So... <laughs> It's just, I just like, I like to have information and like, and sort of a, like a mindset that can be used anywhere, anytime for any genre. Yeah. So focusing on the melody has saved me in a lot of precarious yeah. situations where, you know, you're playing with Jeff Goldblum or somebody and they're like, oh, we're introducing the yeah. fantastic Nora Jermaine. You walk on stage, they call a tune you've never heard yeah. and they're featuring you on something you've never heard of. And it's like, oh, great. Thanks. But if you listen to the melody the first time, you might be able to fake it. <laughs> that's a very good. Hey, that's 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 a great tip, and I think I'm going to take that tip for myself. There you go. I always try and take something for myself from these from these uh, sessions, and that's definitely one of them. It's excellent. oh yeah. Try it next time you're playing on something you don't know. If you listen to the first melody, you'll be way better off. I, for me, at least, it works for me. Yeah, because I think sometimes if I'm in that position, I'm like, oh right, what's that chord? I'm listening for the chords, and I'm like, oh god. And then no. yeah. Yeah, that that connect. Or you're like, oh, how how is the piano player handling this? It's like that's not going to help you, yeah. you know. And also, but another thing that's really constructive for a situation like that is to take note of the form. If it's too late to listen to the melody and you're already into the first person solo, say you have to solo next and it's being filmed or something, and it's like, okay, you really have to make it work. Um, the the next best thing is to focus on the form to be like, okay. F the chords. Don't worry about the chords. They'll come to your soul. <laughs> <laughs> Just think about what the form is. Be like, okay, is it AABA? Is this a blues? Is this 10 bars of modal stuff happening in C and then it goes to F? Like, just try to get the form in your head, just mm. like basically. That also has saved me a lot of times um, because, you know, sometimes like, you know, you get into that situation and you're like panicking and saying, oh, shit. How am I going to, you know, make something creative happen when I'm basically panicking? Yeah. And the key is to just take a deep breath and try to listen to what's going on. This is all some. This is all great, you know. And this this is the sort of thing we need to. We we all need to keep keeping our brain now that we're getting back to playing. We haven't played a gig for like a year, you know, a year and a half or whatever. Oh God, yeah, that's actually, I got kind of nervous actually a couple of weeks ago for like the first time in my life. I really don't usually have stage fright. Maybe a little, you know, yeah. I'm not like impervious to it, but I really honestly don't care. I love performing, um, but I got a little nervous. I was like, what if I forgot <laughs> how, to, how to be a performer? It's terrifying. Yeah, I, I, I actually don't think of, I've, in, I've had like maybe five gigs or something since since everything came mm -hmm. back. I don't think I've enjoyed them that much. I've found it quite difficult. Mm. I haven't. I've not played so so well. Or probably I've probably played fine, but I'm not. I'm not able to. I haven't been able to let go in that way that mm. we 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 like to or that we should when we're improvising. Do you think it's because your standards are so much higher for yourself or do you feel like you're just out of practice or are you not enjoying the situations you're in or what do you think? I think I've practiced too much over the lockdown <laughs> and I'm in practice mode when I'm playing. I think that's what it is. Uh -huh. Do you know that? You yeah, that I mean, 
Yeah, that can happen, I guess. I don't know if I've exactly experienced that because I really try to take breaks. Like I really don't play every day. That's good. (laughs) I play a couple times a week. Yeah. Um, If I'm working a lot, I might play every day because I'll, you know, be doing something on a film or something. But I, I really try not to practice too much because my mind like has a lot of gray matter. I like, I think a lot about music and I hear a lot of stuff in my head. And honestly, sometimes it's easier for me if I just take a day away Hmm, that sounds good. And then come back because I always have a lot going on up here and I find I can make a lot of progress by mentally, you know, just letting things unfold in my head. Also learning songs without playing them. Like I'll make a playlist, say I want to learn 10 new songs. I'll just put them in a playlist and I listen to them for a week when I'm driving when I'm folding my laundry, whatever. And then in a week, boom, I have them all and they're there forever. Cause I always save versions that have the lyrics. And then if you have the lyrics, you never forget the melody. Um, and then, yeah, I, then I can learn stuff really fast, but if I get a chart and I try to read it, I mean, I'll forget it like so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Those are some good, some good tips. I like that idea of, um, of listening to tunes over and over again, rather than sometimes we come at music, a bit like an exercise or a bit like something, a bit like a classical musician. We don't, we, yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I'm talking from my own, from my, for myself here. Sometimes I'm like, right, I'm going to learn. It's like you just said, 10 standards. I want to learn these standards. I'm going to do it right. Listen to the, listen to the standard, work out the melody. Okay. Listen to it a couple <laughs> of times. Hear the, hear the lyrics. Cool. Now what? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it, yeah. 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 As a violinist, it's yeah. like, what do you do now? I think there are some things that you need to have that level of focus. Like I do have that level of focus when I practice Bach or when I practice classical stuff, yeah. which I basically never perform. It's yeah. really just for my own enjoyment. Cause it's really not my forte at all. I'm really not a great classical player, but um, yeah, I think once something becomes so internalized, you know, like, is Gordon Ramsay going to break out a cookbook? You know, I mean, like, you have to really get beyond this shit, yeah, you know, yeah. and internalize what's going on. Because at some point, I just think you can only study so much. And if you're already an experienced player like you are, you know, you've done hundreds, probably thousands of shows, whatever. <laughs> it's like, you know, maybe you don't need those tools anymore. Like, I, I have a pile of books here in my shelf, uh, like, you know, they're standards, and I really never use them. No. Uh very rarely i mean sometimes if i'm on a project where i have to play something really crazy i don't even do that stuff anymore yeah i don't know i just really like to listen and just let it naturally unfold you know i like that idea because basically most of the a lot of the tunes that i i guess i learn if i'm learning standards often the ones i know the best ones i've learned on gigs and i've I've learned by being in the situation hearing somebody else playing it and and now I sort of have to know it, and now I know it a bit like what you're saying. Yeah, I think just listening to it, like you said, it just makes a lot so much well, more sense because we're not. A lot of people don't. A lot of people have a very limited view of their own capabilities too. Mm. Like a lot of people who say, like I know a lot of people like this. They learned another genre, and now they're trying to get into jazz. But they're already good musicians, and they feel like they're starting from square one. But it's like you're not you have so much inherent information about, you know, and sensibility about like time and being in tune and like melody and all this stuff. And a lot of people I think really 
don't like give themselves a chance, you know, they're like, oh, I don't understand, you know, what to do in this bridge or whatever. And it's like, people are so in the weeds, you know, they're really in the weeds about it all. And, and it can take the J out of joy, which leaves you with oi. And, you know, it's, I just feel a lot of people really have a lot more talent than they realize. And so when I started just listening to this stuff, I was like, I wonder if I can learn a standard if I just listen to it 10 times. And I can. And like, I don't think I'm a miraculous person. I just think I have a, like, I've learned to have like a little more faith in myself, maybe. Yeah. And do you find that that having more faith in yourself, that means that you can do more? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cause you're not so, you know, worried about like, I was just talking with my guitarist, Miles Jensen. He's like, he's so amazing. And well, I work with lots of guitar players, but Miles and I have a really special kind of bond. I don't know why. He's Japanese and very interesting and um, very kind of mellow person. But when he plays guitar, it's like so bright. And and he and I really try to aim to play stuff in like one take or maybe two if we're really struggling. <laughs> but we try to really, you know, just try to try to make it work, um, you know, and try to not overthink it. And and also another thing is like, don't think about what you don't have try to think about all the stuff you do have, you know, to be like, Oh, I don't have the best instrument or I don't, I didn't have the best training or I don't have the best bow hold. It's like, okay, that's fine. What about all the stuff you do have? You have an ear, you have passion, you have a song that you know how to play. You have a friend to play it with. You've got, you know what I mean? So I could go on all day about how I rush and I'm terrible in odd time signatures. I can't read very well all these shortcomings, but it's like, but I, there's so much that I do have, yeah. you know? And so if you just try not to see yourself as lacking, I mean, everybody in the world lacks something, you know, if you've heard Itzhak Perlman doing recording jazz with Oscar Peterson, I mean, it's really hard to listen to. It's really very bad. It's bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm willing yeah. to say it's bad. Itzhak, if you're listening, I'm really sorry. I'm a big fan, but it's not my favorite. <laughs> So, I mean, when I listen to the, like, there's a recording, I think it's body and soul or something similar that they did together. And I thought it was going to be great, but it really disappointed me. And then actually it gave me a huge um, bit of confidence because I like, actually not a bit, a lot of confidence. So I was like, guess what? My idol, Itzhak Perlman is not the best at everything. Yeah. So that made me feel really excited about myself because I'm not the best at everything either. And that means we're the same. Just yeah. kidding. Not quite the same, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I do. I definitely do. Every single one of your idols, whether they're in music or something else, has some things that they can't do. Yeah. So try to like run with what you're good at, you know, and uh, when you're practicing, feel free to, you know, um, <laughs> work on the stuff that's hard for you. Like, I think that's good. Like I, I work on classical music a lot these days, even though I, it's not my forte, but yeah, when you're out playing with people, when you're recording your stuff, like use your strengths. I mean, because they're unique, everybody has unique strengths. And I think that can give people a lot of confidence. I like that. It's great. Hey, um, what, what made you move to LA? Well, um, so I'd been at the new school for two years and that environment, I was in New York, I was playing with this guy, John Baptiste, who became like one oh, of yeah. my best friends, piano player. Yeah. Um, he became one of my best friends. We were playing a ton. 
Um, I was playing with lots of cool people around school, but New York was um, a pain in my ass. <laughs> and I had really always loved the idea of Hollywood. And I had gone to high school in California, so I was missing California. And I was thinking maybe I'll just drop out of school and get a job on Cirque du Soleil or something, which I came very, very close to doing. But I had gotten into USC, which is a school here, University of Southern California, to do jazz violin. And I think I was the first person to ever do it here as, you know, to study that. So I, and I got a scholarship too. So I kind of saw that as a sign to maybe live in LA and, um, and I've been very happy here. I've got to say, I mean, I'm still pretty young. So my career is in the beginning, but I've been very grateful to have a, a good start. I, I love LA and, um, I don't think I'll ever leave. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have never been to America actually. It's, it's uh, some native, I know. <gasps> really? I know it's, 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 it's ridiculous, but, um, that is actually so cool. <laughs> I can't imagine what it would be like to never come to America. Like your view of the world must just be so like, I don't know. I don't want to say pure, but just uncorrupted by shit. <laughs> that's very funny. Uh, you know? That's interesting. So you, I'm, 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 I'm sensing that you, uh, you got some hangups about, about your country, you know, maybe there. <laughs> well, God, I mean, who wouldn't? It's so dysfunctional. And, you know, it, I mean, it, it, Look, it's an amazing place to live. I'm very lucky to live here. I'm very grateful, you know, to be American, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's all Marilyn Monroe and Coca-Cola and baseball. and But that's like kind of the ideology of it. You know, America has a lot of problems. We don't treat people very well. We don't have health care. You know, we don't fund the arts. You know, there's a lot of corruption here. So, you know, we've got a long way to go. But um what can I say? I mean, I am grateful to be here, but when I leave, it also sometimes feels like a breath of fresh air. Is it? Is it very? You know. So, what's it like coming to the UK then? Being because you know, you've been to the UK a lot. How does it? How does it? Yeah. Feel, how does it feel different? You've obviously you've been th you've lived in a, like most of the, of most of most parts of America as well, really, haven't you? Yeah. Like. Yeah. I've been to most of the States except for a couple. Um, but yeah, I've been to the UK. Well, I started going when I was a little kid actually, because my dad became a, a luthier and he would sell violins all over the world and buy violins all over the world. And so one time he took us on a trip to London toward that end. And he took us to see, um, mama Mia, huh. uh, down in Piccadilly circus or yeah. wherever it is. And uh, so I so I fell in love with the UK also because of the Spice Girls. That was a huge, <laughs> huge, huge influence on me. I mean, like I cannot overstate it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, but, you know, London to me, I guess the UK, because I've been to Scotland as well a few times. And it feels very um, London feels a little bit formal to me. You know, people aren't walking around in sweatpants like they are here in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I love that. I love that people have nice coats and nice shoes and nice belts. And like, there's that <laughs> sort of, it feels a little bit more like New York in that sense, where it's like a little bit more fashionable. But um, the UK also feels, it, it feels a, li a little bit more, um, I don't want to say maybe generous, but like, 
like society has certain basic priorities. It's not all about greed and fame and, mm. you know, political ideology. Yeah. It feels like there is a sense that that society, and I know that's, you know, being tested a little bit lately because I follow politics there, but I feel that, you know, when I come to the UK, I get a greater sense of community and I get a greater sense of society functioning in a in a more optimal way right it's it's certainly more left-wing than than uh to, to be sure to make it super simple right of course i'm simplifying it hugely but it's it's more left-wing i guess in general well I, I, in some ways i mean i think in some ways i feel that people are conservative sometimes yes. in like the way they dress or the way they talk socially conservative you know like i'll come to I can have lunch with people in, you know, wherever, Edinburgh or, or London or wherever, and I'm like cussing all the time. I'm talking about tits and ass and all this stuff that's like normal in LA. People are very outspoken and free and, you know, and like, I think sometimes people get a little shocked by that. Maybe, but, um... but in Scotland, <laughs> but Scotland is, I mean, I grew up in Scotland and like we have, uh -huh. we have the worst, uh, the worst language Ever we use all the that's true. It's a little, it words. can be a little bit dirty, I guess. But I like that though. Yes, yeah, Scotland feels a little bit more informal and kind of rugged, kind of rugged and 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 sort of uh, fun somehow. It's just fun, definitely more fun. It's definitely more yeah. fun. But no, it's just interesting to know what that what the what the UK is. You know what what it is that draws you to the UK so much as a as a as an American. Because I you know I I'm I'm really sad that I've not been to America yet. We were going to go just before this all happened, mm -hmm. and I'm, so I'm hoping to go on, yeah. on a big trip as soon as possible. Well, I'm sure you'll get. I mean, you're still super young. I'm sure you'll get time to come here. And there's, I mean, I've never been to Asia, which is crazy. I'm dying to go to Asia. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, we all have a lot of traveling to do. Where were you going to come visit anyway? I'm just. I was just going to go. I actually really wanted to go to the both the north and the south. I wanted to see, um, uh -huh. you know, New York and that yeah. area but i also want to go to the south and see and see texas because I, I really like the food i'm very in, uh -huh. interested in the in the southern american food so. oh yeah texas is a texas is a riot yeah i'd, uh, I'd love very to very very different lifestyles and vibe and climate mm, yeah that's it but it's a bit of a dream at the moment because it's not you know we can't we can't really we can't do it at the moment it's not allowed Maybe soon. Well, you, you'll you'll get a chance. You know, it's the world is a little bit disheveled right now, but it yeah, it'll come back. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so you when you moved to you moved to LA, sorry to to study, and you've stayed there. Um, yeah. You stayed you stayed there for what ten years now. Yeah. And God, I can't believe. Well, don't calculate how old I am from that. Let's not go there. But yeah, nah, don't worry. <laughs> I've got the worst maths ever. So. Oh, good. Happen. Okay. Okay. Perfect. But what's it like as a as a jazz musician living in LA at the moment, or what has it been like as well? Well, okay. So this, so LA has a lot of great things about it. First off, the entire entertainment industry is basically based here in in New York, but mostly here. When you consider all the films, all the you know reality TV, a lot of YouTubers, a lot of people making content, and you've got live music, you know, you've got the symphony, you've got the um, opera, you've got um, 
all the award shows are basically here and a few talk shows. So you've really got a lot. If you want to like be in a lot of different types of stuff, then LA is like an amazing playground. You've got hip hop producers, um, or you could say R and B producers, like lots of, lots of stuff is going on. But the thing about jazz here is that the jazz scene is a little bit bifurcated right now. And I feel that basically there's a sort of modern jazz scene, which is like all the critics basically are in that vibe. And then there's a very also strong vintage sort of jazz scene, which is very Gatsby, PMJ, swing dancing, tap dancers, burlesque, um, sort of, you know, older style jazz music. And I, I tend to be with those people because, um, I honestly, I, I like to be where the critics don't go. First off, the venues are nicer. The drinks are better. The people dress beautifully. They know how to dance. They know how to talk to people. It's not a bunch of antisocial people, <laughs> but the problem with LA is really that we don't have very many real jazz clubs. In fact, we basically don't have any. We have a bunch of restaurants that are jazz clubs. We have a bunch of bars that are also clubs. Um, there are a couple jazz clubs. One of them just closed, actually, the Blue Whale. There was also Catalina's Jazz Club, which I don't know what's going on with them now with the pandemic. I don't know. There are places to play, for sure. And LA has some amazing venues. But we don't have, you were asking about what attracted me to London. There's so many like actual jazz clubs in London. I understand some of them are struggling. That's fine. But LA really doesn't have like a solid like place to play that is like dedicated to jazz. Um, there's a, a club in, in Beverly Hills or possibly Bel Air that's called Vibrato. That's also a restaurant, which is very, very nice. But you know, a lot of people don't go there because Beverly Hills is just, it's kind of far away from other stuff. Um, so that's one problem with LA. There's never a shortage of stuff to be invited to do and people to play with. And like, you know, I love being on talk shows, for example, that's like my favorite thing to do, but we do have a problem. We need to get more jazz clubs for sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about the more modern stuff because that's, that's obviously, you know, like that, over here, we're aware of like the LA modern jazz thing. Quite, quite aware uh -huh. of it. Oh, you are okay. Yeah, cool. it's like a, it's a thing. I don't, not that I know that much about it, but I know that yeah. LA current jazz. So is so you so yeah, like Kamasi Washington and people like yeah. that. And yeah, it, it's sort of yeah. Well, and actually, I, yeah, I love Kamasi and I've worked with him and he's amazing, but. Yeah, there are definitely, I, I do feel that the people who listen to modern jazz and really like sit and listen and write about it, whatever. And then the people who go like swing dancing yeah, are very, very different crowds. And I wish that they would mix a little bit because I think there's some stuff that they can learn from one another. Yeah. Um, it's just very different. The music's so different, right? The music is very, very different. Well, the experience of the music, honestly, the music is probably pretty similar because in any given night, you might find both bands playing the same tune. But it's a very different, you know, experience, I feel, for the people like watching and listening. Like I'm now that I've been sort of part of the whole postmodern jukebox. I don't even know what you call it. Django, like revival. Like, I don't even know because I feel like I'm also kind of doing my own thing anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but whatever. I fit into that category, I feel, a little more because I think also I just have a slightly effervescent personality and I don't really like to take stuff too seriously. Like, I don't really 
love talking about modes. I'm not even sure I know what a mode is. So, <laughs> so I think, you know, naturally I gravitated toward a bunch of people who wanted to get drunk and go dancing. Like that makes sense <laughs> to me. And also the fact that it was, you know, I'm not like the best swing dancer, but just the fact that it was so fun for me to be able to play the music for those people. Um, that also became like a source of just fun for me and, you know, getting to meet a lot of, uh, men in particular who were good swing dancers, which was so sexy and fun. And something I think that kind of got lost in our generation in general is like, there's this pocket of, of young men who love to dance and they really know how to dance and it's so cool. And that also really attracted me to, to that whole scene. That's interesting. You know, there's like this, there's a swing dance scene in London, but I mean, I don't want, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I think it's quite nerdy. Not, you know, like the music scene's nerdy as well. All the musicians are nerds, but. Well, sure, sure, like, sure. But <laughs> I see, I see, it's quite, I, I quite like it. You know what else I saw when I was in, when I was in Hungary, I was in, I uh-huh. went to Budapest and I went, someone took me to. Oh, the, I've always wanted to go there. Oh, I'm so jealous. Okay, great. keep going. But someone took me to uh, like a, like a traditional, it was, it was traditional Transylvanian music night. And, and it was amazing seeing young people yeah. dancing because it's, it's all about the dancing there. It's like folk dancing. And it was amazing seeing uh-huh. it because it just reminded me so much of swing dancers. Because, yeah, swing dancers in, in London, you know, I, I saw the, it was just the, just the way they, they, co- they collected themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting and really cool. You know, I, I joke about it being nerdy and it is so nerdy. It, it's always, I always find it like the nerds gravitate to it, but like there's sure. the best, you know, uh, that's. Yeah. Cool. I also think that the, the little bow ties and possibly people's glasses and like the things they wear, like the suspenders, you know, like, I feel like a lot of the sort of fashion of it maybe is a little bit old fashioned, but that's, you know, why people love it. And, um, I think it just honestly, like, you know, the swing scene is really not perfect at all. At times I can find it to be honestly incredibly entrenched musically. You know, everybody wants to play this ching, 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 uh, Django stuff. And I'm like, you know, you don't have to play on every single quarter note. And <laughs> you, do you know what I mean? Like there, there's other ways to play guitar, but no, people want to like emulate Django. And so it's like, okay, that's fine. I don't think even Django would do that, but that's fine. Um, but even though, you know, no scene is really perfect, I do see it as kind of an antithetical or sort of like foil for, you know, modern day, you know, millennial society, which is like not very much human contact, definitely not dancing with strangers, you know, definitely not, you know, the roaring 20s. It's like everybody's depressed and, you know, has five undiagnosed conditions and all this shit that some of it is real. Some of it might be not, but the swing scene to me is like this roaring, you know, group of people that just say, fuck it. Let's just have fun. You know, let's be outgoing. Let's learn how to dance. Let's play some friggin' jazz and just see what happens. And I like that aspect of it. It feels very carefree. It feels very open and, you know, it's very different than going to like an indie rock show or something where, you know, people are generally pretty shy, you know, um, it's just a different vibe, different way to live in society. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm into it. I, I'm. I've been looking forward to that whole thing starting up as well. I'm not as. I'm not as in. I'm not super entrenched in the London uh, swing dance scene. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Maybe I should be. Maybe I should. Uh, so get I involved. just. I'm curious though. Like, what are your favorite places to play in London? Like, what are the places that you like to play or would like to play more? Uh, there's. You know, I. I used to when Kansas Smitties was still open. We were. We had a regular thing there. Um, Did that close? Yeah. Well, actually, the... well, I got to I got to go there during the glory days and played there. Yeah, shot, I, so thank I, God. I saw you last time you were there. I saw you. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, what that? Well, actually, it has reopened uh, as uh-huh. another club run by oh. basically by the people who 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 run the the venue upstairs. It's not okay, run by okay. the Kansas Smitties anymore. The Kansas Smitties have a have their own thing going on, which I'm not sure if it's going to turn into a, a venue or not. I, I don't know what their uh-huh. plans are. So, okay. so, so there's there's that place. Uh, I'm just trying to think because it's all it's been a long time since <laughs> since we did any gigs. I used to play a lot of the Green Note, um, mm. which hopefully yeah, that's back now. That's coming back. Uh, different places like Cafe Bohem, which was just a sort of nice little cafe gig right in in so i think i've been there yeah yeah it's a great so uh, it's one of my oh favorite yeah yeah i actually. have been there yeah 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 it's obviously ronnie scott's pizza express all the all the, the classic places there's vortex really great yeah. jazz club um there's what about that intro that place i i got to play there at least once um uh it's very fancy uh brasserie um, zadell that's right. Yeah. yeah. Do Piccadilly. you enjoy playing there? Yeah. So we have this sort of residency thing, or we—it's maybe not uh-huh. a, not we're not there as regular as we used to be, but had a residency there, which was really nice. And the, you're talking uh-huh. the Crazy Cox, which there's there's two venues there. Yeah, yeah. That little theater downstairs. Yeah, yeah. Crazy Cox. Yeah, that's very. very I cool. love that place. You know, because I, <laughs> well, you know, I live in LA, so obviously, like, you know, I value you know glamorousness <laughs> just as a part of my life and and i always had wanted there to be a place like that in mm-hmm. la and yeah. there are places that kind of approach that level but just yes. i i remember going there and i i the first time i'd gone there i was listening to piano player ruben um what's his last name ruben, I can't remember. ruben james yeah i had met him a couple years prior because i got hired to play violin with sam smith yeah and that's how I met him. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I, I went there first to see him and I saw a couple other shows there. And I just remember just being struck by how glamorous I felt. And how, like, I just want jazz to, not that jazz needs to be glamorous, but I just want there to be a place for that in the future. That if people want that glamorous experience that, you know, we, we can provide that, you know, in any city in the world. I really, that's like a dream of mine. That place is Zadell is a yeah it's an anomaly. There's nowhere I I see that as you could only have that place in London. I don't know. I mean I don't know. You could perhaps have it in somewhere like New York. I'm guessing. I don't know. Well, New York's most glamorous place is really like Dizzy's, which is in the Lincoln Center. It's like kind of up. There's glass. Yeah. You can look out into New York. You know, but but it, but still, um, Brasserie Zadell is more still just. It's just it's so beautiful, and it like is, even yeah. outside walking around is yeah. so beautiful too. I it's a bit tainted <laughs> for me. I mean, not fully tainted. I still love playing there, and I always will. But I because we, you know, Kurosh. Kurosh Kanani is a guitarist who I play with a lot. And I'm not sure, not sure. Met him. 
He uh well okay. we we have a thing. We've been playing there for probably about seven years, six or seven years. We play there. Oh and wow. We played there when you get week long residencies and you play there every day for a week. And we would oh, for a while like we had so, we had so cool to me. Nobody does that in LA. That's so cool. We had it for we we don't we for a while we had it you know once every month once every two months it's now gone down to once every three months because they've they've got more bands that play it. We were very lucky when they first started the music. We were like one of the first bands to start it. Mm, um, start that's it awesome, there, which is great. But we have been I have played there more times than I've played anywhere else in the world. I think so. Now wow. I'm just like it's a, it's yeah, a different yeah, yeah. story. I've eaten yeah. the hanger steak there so many times. It's unreal. <laughs> these are some these are some glamorous problems you have. I know. You yeah, know? I can't say. So. <laughs> I'm definitely not complaining. I'm not complaining. No, no, but I understand. Yeah, and it does get tiring when you you know when you're in the same environment all the time, which is why we need more venues so that you know people can experience more stuff. But yeah, I just you know I think about all those like amazing days. Like there was a place called Coconut Grove and. There's all these like amazing clubs from history. And, you know, if you look at like old look if you like old books about jazz musicians, you can like see pictures of these clubs and yeah. you know, people made amazing historical recordings there live and you can hear people cheering and spilling their drinks on other people. And it's just it's so fantastic. And I just I really want to try to bring that um, you know, environment back sometime in my life. I just I hope that. I'm able to contribute to that because I really think, you know, society needs that. And, yeah, yeah, people just need to have fun. Yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. One of my favorite albums is the Count Basie Breakfast Dance and Barbecue. And the best thing, and it's not just the music, it's the fact that you can hear people going, eh the background and all yeah yeah oh yeah. And yeah, actually Count Basie and I have the same birthday too, August 21st. But oh wait, yeah, yeah. August 21st, that's my birthday. Shut up. Yeah, it's my birthday. Well, then you also have the same birthday as the violin maker Guarneri. Oh, really? Yeah. So Guarneri, Count Basie, you and me, we all share the same birthday. Amazing. Yeah. A few other people too. Cool people like Usain Bolt. All right. And Kim Cattrall, who's Samantha Jones on Sex and the City. Oh, yeah. Legendary, legendary character. Yeah. Um, oh my, so you and I have the same birthday. That's the craziest thing. That is crazy. Two jazz violinists with the same birthday. That is, that is bonkers. <laughs> Usually, yeah, I don't know. That is weird. Just the fact that we both play jazz violin because it's, it's like a niche within a niche and we have the same birthday. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's so cool though. It was meant to be. Yeah, exactly um hey so what's your uh what's your main focus at the moment like musically or just whatever but you know what's your main focus yeah well um okay i would like to do another record another jazz record hopefully this year i'm going to record uh, another one that'll be my 10th one yeah and you've got so a lot I'm of recordings right that. A lot of recordings. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I've done a lot. I feel for someone, you know, that's still in their 20s, I feel like I have a good start. I, I mean, there's a zillion more than I wish I could have done, but, um, you know. But, yeah, I love recording. Um, I try to not take it too seriously. I try to progress every time I do a recording, try to learn, you know, from what I did and take more risks and stuff. And 
but yeah so hopefully i can do another record this year i also have this alter ego called love and lord it's like a pop music thing dance music project nice so that's sort of an aside um, that I'm, I'm sort of living as these two different people at the same time, which I feel is slightly Bowie-esque, but also necessary for my sanity. Um, cool. <laughs> because I just feel like I can't do everything on the violin that I've ever wanted to do. Um, but also I can't leave the violin because it's also my dream. So you, then you got to have two things and that's fine. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to doing more shows and hopefully I can do this recording before the end of the year. So I'm always just listening to stuff, trying to figure out, you know, what I want to put on there, writing some too. And, um, uh, also, um, I just saw John Baptiste. He was just in town a, a few weeks ago cause he won an Oscar his music on soul and so uh we've been talking about you know doing some more collaboration together so that might be in the works for the rest of the year as well so you know but in the meantime just trying to practice and um drink a lot of water <laughs> drink a lot of water yeah <laughs> it keeps you young you know and it's hot here and you know i just water i feel water helps my thinking and everything <laughs> You know, I really need to drink more water. I, I'm really bad. I, I don't drink that much water. You can probably see it in my drink face. Drink a lot of water for a week and see how you feel. Honestly, it really helps. It really, really helps. Hmm. I've been making a lot it's of... It's so simple. <laughs> it is simple, isn't it? It is simple. And it does make... People don't want to do the simple stuff, you know, because it's too easy. It's too yeah. Easy. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah, that's true. I've been trying <laughs> yeah. to make health changes in my life i quit smoking and tried to oh good for you yeah it's different yeah a difficult i i like smoking a lot you don't smoke do you smoke no no but i do love uh good tequila <laughs> so i've got my own vices but um i've never really been much of a smoker no i mean on occasion you know on occasion but really not not regularly so you've quit or you're in process of quitting i've quit it's happened. Oh, good. But, for but you. I'm very good at quitting. I've probably quit about ten times in my life. So um, <laughs> that's funny. Best, yeah, I, I, it's got to this point where quitting's just like, okay, I got to quit again. But this time, I'm finished. It's it's uh, it's done. We don't we don't need to smoke. It doesn't doesn't make sense. But um, I think my next step will be drinking water. I do need to drink more water. People tell me drink more. Yeah, water. give it a try. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're you're planning to you're planning to do another record. Uh, yeah. Can I ask what what that might be? What sort what sort of thing that might be? You know, I just I'm uh, thinking I really want to use piano for sure. I was thinking for maybe a while I was going to do piano and violin duets. I had gotten really inspired by you know people like Bill Evans. Uh, was listening to. Um, Red Garland, was listening to John Baptiste, listening to just different piano players. And I got really interested in that because I'd never done a record that's piano and violin. But then I started to think maybe I want to do a full band record, you know, like piano, uh, bass, drums and violin or piano, bass, drums, guitar and violin. Because I've done quite a bit with guitar lately. And I really love playing with piano. And I don't feel a lot of jazz violinists well, maybe that's not fair to say, but you can find guitar and violin everywhere, but you can't find a lot of um, 
piano and violin together. And actually also I was really um, inspired by listening to a lot of these uh, recordings that Stefan had done with Oscar Peterson. Yeah. And actually I think he sounds the best in those years. Like people really like think these Django recordings are amazing. I think they're okay. I mean, I think they're great, but I honestly think Stefan got better as he got older and when he came to America and because he was older at that point, he had like, he was even better as a musician than he was when he was younger. And so the recordings with Oscar Peterson and HOP and all those people, and they really have kind of a blues aspect to it, which I find very interesting um, because Stefan really didn't play that kind of blues sort of way, you know, with Django as much. Um, so that's something I'm looking at. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to take shape, but hopefully I'll write a few things and record some stuff that I've never recorded before and wanted to record. Uh, yeah, something like that. Nice. So yeah. Yeah, that, that, sounds, that sounds great. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, what, what are you up to these days? What's going on for you? I'm about to record a duo album. With my friend, guitarist Kurosh Kanani. We're going to do a little duo album. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know if I ever met him, but that sounds awesome. Yeah, doing that. Uh, cool. A couple of other things as well uh, that are sort of in the pipeline, being funded to do a couple, well, funded by a jazz festival to do something. I'm not supposed to oh, talk cool. about it yet, so I won't talk about it. Not that there's okay. going to be thousands of people waiting to hear, but it's just I think I was told to wait <laughs> A little while before I before I spoke about. No, that's good. But yeah, so yeah. A bit of write, a bit of writing, and a bit of uh, and a bit of just yeah. The duo album I'm doing is is more standards because uh, it's just sort of trying to capture the thing that we've done so much. You know, sometimes you realize you 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 go about town doing this thing, playing your thing. Yeah. And not and you never get it recorded. You know, and there's probably, we probably all have, I mean, you got 10 albums, so maybe that's never happened to you, but <laughs> I think a lot of- No, I still feel like I haven't, I mean, I still feel I haven't captured a lot that I've wanted to capture, yeah. honestly. So that's that's it, right? You're like, there's so many things that I realized, I think I realized it in the pandemic. I was like, you know, that there's so much stuff that I do that like that doesn't exist in, in the modern world. It doesn't exist, it's not on the internet, so it doesn't exist. So I need to right. take my- uh, my uh my natural uh life my real life and put it on the on 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 the internet a little bit <laughs> do you know what yeah, I mean yeah yeah absolutely yeah I mean you never know who's gonna like it so you just have to put it out there and if it's not for everybody then that's great and they'll move on but I yeah I also feel like in the world of kind of content like you know there's a zillion people doing makeup there's a zillion people reviewing shit like there's there's so much but there's like not as many people especially young people who are like you know can really be a human with an instrument and when the red light happens ding and they say go you can make it work like that's a rare talent that I feel like um you know maybe because you know content TikTok and stuff is like it's it's most of it is like you know so mediocre but it's getting so many hits and then like i honestly think it makes all the super talented people feel like okay well if my thing isn't gonna get a million views should i really put it out you know but then it's like you have to remember that what you do is like very unique and you know and um i've been surprised sometimes by the people who have listened to my stuff or enjoyed my stuff like i think oh 
you know, I'll put up, you know, put a video or a song and I'm like, people really won't care. But then actually sometimes it's really interesting to me that maybe people haven't heard violin very much in their life. They haven't heard much jazz and they're like, oh, this is so cool. I mean, I remember I did a show at Seven Grand, which is a very famous bar here in LA. And I had a residency there for a long time and I play there and um, <laughs> somebody there had showed up who clearly had no like experience with jazz. <laughs> and he came up to me and he was like, oh, Nora, I just love your show. It's kind of like fiddling, but it seems more old fashioned. And <laughs> what do you call it? And I'm like, swing. He was like, I'm going to write that down. I mean, he was like serious, <laughs> you know, he was serious. Like, I think maybe he's just gone to like, you know, basketball <laughs> games his whole life or something, but he was like, this is so cool. Like, is there more of this out there? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. That is... But you never know, you know, who's going to discover it. Yeah. You know, what's funny. You just, you tell me that I had a friend who played a, a, a um, it was like a private party, but for like a load of celebrities uh, somewhere mm -hmm. in London. And mm -hmm. there was like the, oh God, what's that? You're not going to know what it is because it's a British, it's a British TV show where they all dance. You get celebrities to dance. Do you know what this, do you know what, do you guys have one of those things? It's like a um, reality TV yeah, show with dancing. Yeah, we've got crap like that, yeah. What's, yeah. what's it called? What's the American <clears throat> one called? Dancing with we've got well, we've got a bunch of dancing with the stars. That sound maybe it's like that, but I think we've got the masked singer, which is also a disaster, right? Um, well, I won't say it's a disaster, but there are other things that we could put on television. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> it, anyway, some massive uh, dance thing that we have in the t in, in in the in the UK that I shouldn't know yeah. the name of, but I don't know. And, That's the, okay. and the judge was there and and he and and part of their act was to like they had to like play for this for this guy he's gonna dance he's like a judge on this big big tv show and part of him he's gonna he's gonna also perform at this at this uh this event that my friends are playing at and they have to be his backing band and he comes up uh -huh. to them and he's like what do you guys play then and they're like well Swing, like swing and the guy goes what swing and they were like oh, they were just like uh what he's like a <laughs> like a judge on a dance show and he doesn't know what swing is like, you no know, i yeah honestly it's like monty python at that point yeah it's you're like just, so it's so beyond that you almost can't even write it yeah yeah like Jeez. what have you how the hell did how's this happened you don't know what swing is anyway no it's like there was like a rip in the space time continuum <laughs> and some yeah no yeah. i yeah yeah that stuff does happen you know um <laughs> that for some reason that reminds me of a story i remember one time i was like a teenager and i'd been playing jazz for about three weeks or something and I knew like five songs and I was doing a show with Marshall, my teacher, and this other guy who was also a teacher, Bob Boss, playing guitar. And the three of us were about to go on and I was backstage and I was nervous, you know, because these guys like could really improvise. I mean, they'd been playing this stuff for like 50 years, you know, and I'm like so new and, um, and I was like, Marshall what are we going to play? You know, I'm like, what's the set list? Cause he infamously doesn't like that. Like, you know, he really likes things to be, you know, nebulous. And I was like, Marshall, what are we going to play? And he's like, well, you're going to play violin. I'm going to play a bass. Bob's going to play guitar. <laughs> and that's all he told me. <laughs> 
And so anyway, it worked out fine because he, he would play the intros to certain songs that he knew that I knew and it would all work out very nicely. But it was very funny though. That just reminds me of that for some reason. The other the other end of that spectrum where things are so Yeah, yeah. He knows it can very be well. So messed up, or they can be so right that yeah. you almost can't have a clue, you know, yeah, about it. Yeah. I agree. I, I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> it's the other end of the spectrum, exactly like you said. <laughs> someone doesn't know what swing is, and then someone is it so does know what swing is that you don't even have to know what swing is. Sort of. Yeah, there's no songs even. Because, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, that is terrifying about that dance show. You know, that's actually really terrifying. Yeah. I would be horrified if I saw that. I would call the producers up and say some very interesting words to them. Yeah, You know, it's actually a real good thing that I've forgotten the name of the dance show because I probably shouldn't be. I would, you know, I probably shouldn't be saying it. So it's perfect. Um, well, look, it's funny, first off. It's oh, yeah. hilarious. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with pointing out the absurdities of our existence every once in a while. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna go. I've got to go. Uh, I've got to go make some food. I'm starving hungry. We're in different time zones at the moment, aren't we? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for working with me on that because it's, yeah, no, sometimes no, it's... it is just a kind of time, but I appreciate it a lot. No, it's great. It's been great to chat to you. Is there anything uh, that you'd like to plug while you're here is there anything yeah i mean i would just say if anybody wants to hear my music just type nora germain you know into spotify or wherever you listen to stuff yeah and i'm also on instagram you know yeah say hi there'll be some links in the descriptions as well of course yeah 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 but yeah totally so yeah this has been really cool so thank you so much for having me on i feel honored to finally be part of this community no worries (laughs) well thanks so much for thanks so much for doing it Thanks so much for listening um, to the Jazz Violin Podcast. You've been listening to me, Matt Holborn, and my special guest, Nora Germain. Hope you guys are okay. Um, I know everything's different all over the world at the moment with coronavirus. uh, And, you know, different places around the world are in different places in the pandemic. But uh, here in the UK, things are sort of chilling out, I think. But I think I have probably say that all the time. So, God knows. Things are chilling out here a little bit at the moment um, and uh, we are managing to play some gigs. So I actually have gigs, which feels nice. Hope it's all all right with you. And uh, please uh, tune in next month. See you later.